0: Welcome to the official podcast of Customer and Partner Experience. We'll be joined by Tony Cologne and special guests to discuss the latest trends in technology, explore the humanity behind innovation, and discover something new along the way. I'm Megan Watson.
1: I'm Steven Spire, and this it's is What, what makes, makes You Tech.
0: tech. Welcome to the first episode of the What Makes You Tech podcast. We're super excited to have the man behind the inspiration of this podcast, Tony Colon. He is the SVP of Customer and Partner Experience, and he leads a team of over 2,000 engineers, designers, and researchers across the globe. The organization focuses on delivering integrated digital experiences for customers and partners everywhere they connect with Cisco. Tony is a strong believer that the best companies instill as a core foundation, a culture that embraces diversity and inclusion, cares for its people, and is committed to helping others. We're excited to hear his unique perspective and philosophies on topics expanding beyond the realm of technology. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to uh, kick off this podcast series.
1: I know that we spoke a little bit about this in the preview episode that, uh, that's available right now. Give us an expanded version of what makes you tech. Why did you get into this industry? Why do you stay here?
2: So one of the fascinating things that, <clears throat> that I've realized about tech in general is just the constant evolution, right? I always believe that, you know, I wasn't always the best student um, in school. Which is kind of odd for me to say, because my favorite thing to do is always be learning and always really just keeping up with the latest times. And I've learned that tech fascinates me, and you know whether it's the cutting edge tech around things we do in our daily lives, and you know just innovation, right? Like we often talk about, you know the the when you know we were taught as children never go in a stranger's car, and now we go in an Uber or a Lyft all the time. And um, you know, getting groceries delivered is just so, you know, like commonplace now. It's you click a button, and and so that whole kind of concept of technology making our lives easier, and uh, it's kind of fascinating. I placed an order on Instacart the other day, and it's like you've saved 65 hours by shopping on Instacart. And it's like, oh, well, you know, and that, that makes sense. And I might just continue to do that. So those are just some of the things and sort of what I love doing and seeing. And honestly, what I never thought personally was that technology would be a change for good, right? Bridging the gap between poverty and, you know, like middle class. And, and I think if you look at a lot of the countries in the world, that have, you know, are considered third world countries or or have this, this you know, um, upper class and then sort of the the poverty levels, it's because there's no middle class. And I truly believe that technology helps bridge that gap.
1: And I think that's super important to, to realize how much it can change if you want it to change, right? So I think it has a lot to do with you personally, as your mindset, what do you want the technology to actually facilitate? Would it be right there?
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound like technology's all for good. I mean, there's some dangerous technology out there and 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 some evil, right? I mean, there's constant cybersecurity of folks trying to mine data and take data. Um, you know, and, and I would say that, I, I strongly believe in my my brother and I have these kind of conversations about the next sort of big war is not going to be, you know, the traditional stuff we've seen in television or movies, where, you know, you have this big force come in and, and um, you know, ground attacks. I mean, yes, that's what we've seen traditionally. But, you know, it's really going to be about a cyber war. Um, who's stealing each other's secrets. I mean, you think about the pandemic that we've all lived through for the this two years and now entering year three you know every country every pharmaceutical is trying to find a a vaccine and obviously we've seen that that some have created vaccines and 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 what's happening now is you, you want you see people stealing secrets and so you know it's very fascinating to see this whole cyber war going on and then the evolution of artificial intelligence and machine learning I think, you know, when I was starting my career, people were always fearful of like the robots are taking over. I, I feel that that's, you know, people say it's just never going to happen, right? Like, you know, I never say never, but to me, it's like robots cannot really overtake a human and in our in our emotion and sort of our intelligence and our EQ and IQ. But what they can do is create algorithms to, to rewire our brains at early ages, which is why I think it's so important for, you know, young kids not to get you know, on technology and, and sort of being, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying you can't give your kid an iPad. That's not what I'm saying, but I do think we have to be very judicious on what they look at because, you know, you look at TikTok started from nothing and now it's the third largest platform. My guess is next year, it'll probably be the largest platform, um, above Facebook and and Instagram. And it's really around, you don't want your kids seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing.
1: Yeah, totally. So let's talk about a little bit about that technology innovation process, though. I mean, you talk about how TikTok goes from basically nothing to now it's huge. This is something that you have done when you've come to Cisco, you created the CX Cloud, which which did not exist, probably, I don't know, wasn't even a thought beforehand. And now you took something that didn't exist to a product that's out in customers' hands. Tell us a little bit about how that process works. And you can use CX Cloud as an example, uh, but just take us from like ideation to creation to you know usable product.
2: Yeah, I would say that you know I couldn't take, or really no one can really take the credit for kind of the the CX Cloud and and saying that oh that was my vision, right? Um, there was a vision to say we need a unified platform across Cisco that connects all of our data and our telemetry and you know then it evolved into things like well wouldn't it be nice if everyone had one login oh and now it's like wouldn't it be nice if a customer goes here and answers a few questions and then we you know provision their products behind the scenes but i would say this was this vi- vision was here before i started this vision could date back to actually 2005 when one of our fellows wrote a white paper saying cisco's products should work together and there should be a unified experience that brings it all together now, you know, I would say the process of innovation is taking that idea and can just iterating on it. I think that's one thing that um, you know, is is just underappreciated is taking something small and iterating. And people often use the term in technology like fail fast. Honestly, I don't buy into fail fast because it is not you're not really failing. You're taking an idea and you're iterating and then sometimes, yeah, the, the idea didn't work, but then you maybe progress it and move it forward. Maybe you, you work with other teams with different perspectives. And that was really how the CX Cloud has become what it is. And, you know, I, I always tell people it's it's the 1.0 version of CX Cloud. You know, this is a one-year-old platform. You look at Salesforce, you look at ServiceNow, you look at Workday, those companies been around now, they're not young companies anymore, right? They've been around almost 30 years, 20 years, and their products didn't hit that maturity until year 10. You know, we're trying to basically, A, in some cases, play catch up to our competitors, but then B, we're trying to basically get done in two, three years, what some platforms have taken 10 years. And I think the luxury we have is, You know, learning along the way from some of those players and not making those same mistakes and then hiring the talent or or even investing in talent at Cisco uh, earlier that are early in their career to drive this forward. I give you one example, Stephen and Megan, which is I always believe and this is why I'm such a big believer in our intern program is, you know, I remember the days where, you know, I had a, a house phone. Right. And I had a Blackberry and I remember things like Y two K. I speak to interns and most of them weren't even born yet. And they don't know what a Blackberry is. Um and you know, smartphones are all they've ever used. And, you know, you show them and and to me they're the ones that are gonna innovate the future. It's not gonna be me. I can help create the place and space for them to innovate, but it's not gonna be me that's gonna drive the next innovation.
1: So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen as you've gone through this journey? Basically, I mean, we're going to talk about this a lot in season one, but we're going to go through this transformation journey and we'll dive into a little bit about that, what that word means later in this podcast. But when you go through that transformational process, when you're creating these products, when you're trying to make these large scale changes, what have been the hardest things that you've had to try and overcome or, or maybe even that you see coming down the road that are roadblocks to you?
2: You know, Cisco is a, a big company and people often get, you know, nervous about joining a big company saying, can I, can I make it work there? And um, you've probably heard the term analysis paralysis that tends to happen in big companies. You know, folks want every I dotted every T crossed to make sure that their idea is going to work. I would, I would say that I love being part of a company where i You know, there are the assets where I can innovate and incubate and go to my boss or even up to the CEO and say, hey, we've got this idea. Can you help fund it? And I'm not asking for, you know, a huge amount of money. Um, It's basically treating this just like if you're, you know, the startup world is people do seed rounds, right? They they try to collect money. Sometimes they go to family and friends and, and say, hey, will you invest in my company? other folks have some credibility. So they'll go to venture firms and say, Hey, will you invest in my first round? It's very similar. I think in tech is you, you have an idea, you have a vision, you have a plan, and then you go about and and start executing on that plan. And, you know, to me, the best model is if, if you can self fund, right. You know, and I always tell the team and both of you are aware of this is, you know, we've gotten funded for two years by the end of this fiscal year at cisco like you know this is our ipo like we have to treat it like we have to self-fund what we do and i think if more people had that mentality it would do the two things one it, it would give you a sense of belonging like i'm part of something big i'm creating something for the future and the other one it gives you this sense of urgency like just like you know people always say oh you know I, so I want to go to a startup culture. It's like, you can create that same culture no matter where you are. You just have to have that sense of urgency of getting things done. And, you know, nothing gives you more pressure than a date, right? And so I think that's super important. And it's not that people are going to hold you accountable and say, well, you missed this July 31st deadline. You know, it's more of you've given a date and then it's more of a readout to say, where are we at? Don't treat it as a negative. Oh, I missed five things and I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It's here are the 10 things we delivered and here's the value we're creating.
1: I think that that date, like you said, is super important. I know that some CEOs out there, they put those basically internal dates out in the public and then they miss that exact date and people say, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about or whatever. But at least they were driving towards something, right? It happens faster when you put a date on it than if you just say, oh, well, we'll get it out when we're ready. And maybe they missed that date, like you're saying. But really, it was a huge motivator to the team that they're trying to hit it. And even if they fall short, they're way ahead of maybe if they wouldn't have said anything.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's so key. Um, in you know, you think about companies that are public, they are... You know, there there's dates every quarter that they have to release earnings, right? So there's there's these dates that are you know you your stakeholders, your stockholders, and everyone in between, their board of directors, and so there's that at the at the highest level, um, in corporate America or the corporate world, everybody has a boss, right? Like there's no there's no nobody who's untouchable, and I would say that you know when you think about the driver of innovation you know sometimes we put artificial dates where i think people get really really stressed out if they hit they miss something you know i i'm a believer that you're giving a date and it's more of a time frame like you know i think the the dangerous thing too is when you say well you have to hit this on august 14th if you if you deliver it on august 31st like that's okay right and and most of the world now is saying well if you deliver it within this quarter right i mean 3 months is a long time in tech right and you know mobilizing teams and mobilizing work is is hard and um and i do i'm, I'm really i'm really pleased to see all the innovation happening at cisco and the work we're doing for me it's all about chale- channeling it in the direction of how does it impact our customers and partners i think some sometimes at, at large companies or off, I shouldn't say even sometimes, oftentimes at big companies, we're driven by the companies that pay us the most, which is sort of a natural thing. And you sort of forget about, you know, everyone in the middle or these small companies who are just growing and and end up, you know, every small business wants to become an enterprise, right? Um, and so there, there's some of these companies, like I've mentioned, Uber and Lyft and you remember Groupon, like these were companies that started from nothing and then it just exploded. And um, you have to make sure that you don't only focus on the top 10% of the customers that are paying you, but sort of everyone in between all the way down to the smallest company.
0: You had mentioned uh, Salesforce earlier, and then you also mentioned how people can be scared to go to a larger company. So can you kind of just tell us your kind of thought process and decision making for you to come over to Cisco?
2: Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was at Salesforce. I don't remember exactly the number of employees, but, you know, it was anywhere between two and three thousand, uh, which is pretty small. I mean, it's not a small, small company, but it was fairly small. Um, you know, and I, I honestly hadn't ever heard of them, right? Which most people nowadays would be like, well, there's commercials and they're very, you know, they're the top in their, their industry around CRM. Um, but, you know, and I, I'll never forget my first interview was in a Panera Bread. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like some big office environment. And all of my interviews were in, you know, different breakfast places in, in Chicago. And, um, and that's just sort of like how it started. And it was a very, the culture there was very strong around like a family oriented environment. Um, and when they hired you, it wasn't like you were just being hired for the role. You were being accepted into the organization and into the culture. So I think that was big. And, you know, I, I, I've often say like, you know, I don't look for cultural fit. I look for cultural ad, like, what do they bring to the culture? What do they add to the culture? And to me, so that was, that was interesting. And, and, you know, I would have never predict, I don't know if anybody would have ever predicted sort of the growth that they had. I mean, it was fascinating to start in 2009. I left in 2019 and went from about two to 3000 employees I left there about 40, 000, 30 to thirty-five to forty thousand. Now I saw they're like seventy thousand. So now they're they're the size of Cisco. Uh, they're probably half the size of Cisco when I left. So in three years, they've doubled in size through acquisitions and other things. Um, but you know, I would say Cisco has been a big company for a long time. You know, so they're going through the growing pains of of you know that phenomenal hyper growth whereas Cisco has been around this size for probably over a decade, if not more. And so the processes are more mature. You know, the culture has been doing this for a while. And I wanted to go into a place where it wasn't necessarily a hyper growth company, Um, even though we are a growth company, you know, we're growing at the size and the scale that we're at is phenomenal. Um, but to really drive new innovation at a big company, to me was fascinating. So to come in here, not having background in hardware, which you know Cisco is a, a hardware, born and bred as a hardware company, but also strong in networking. I didn't have any networking experience other than doing my home router, um, and so for me that was that was a big sort of leap. And I feel like I've I've fit in, but not just fit in, but added to the culture brought some dynamic hired a bunch of software folks who you know are really partnering well with our hardware and our networking teams and and that was really what I wanted to do part of it to prove to myself that I could do it and I was good as people are telling me at my last employer and uh to really drive something for Cisco
0: so no regrets so far
2: you know um One of the co-founders at Salesforce, I asked him the question, "What's your biggest regret?" And uh, he said something to me that I've that stuck with me and is very profound, which is, "I've never had any regrets because everything is a learning experience." And I'm not avoiding your question, Megan. I'm saying that in in my career, I've never had regrets. Um, And joining Cisco was. A risk, right? Like, you know, you go from a place where you're well respected, you're on a path to, you know, probably the next level of promotion. Um, but, you know, I've proven to myself, and, 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 you know, that's pre- really the only one I was trying to prove is my own, you know, the person sitting on my shoulder that's telling me I can't do it is that personal self doubt. And A, I've proven it to myself. And not only do I not have regrets in joining Cisco, but, You know, I never would have imagined how many lives I've impacted since I've been here. Um, Sometimes I take that for granted of, you know, growing the team, developing careers. And I've always felt that I want to create a place and space for people to do their best work. And I honestly feel that I've done that.
1: That ties a lot back into your philosophy of you don't fail fast. You just learn from the things that you do.
0: That ties in really nicely into the next topic that we know is really important to you and we would love to touch on um, the importance of inclusivity and diversity. Um, And that reminds me, yesterday I was just listening to this podcast and Melinda Gates was the guest and she was talking about how when she, after she had graduated college, there was a big drop of women getting their degrees in computer science. And the big problem with that was that it was a bunch of 20 year old white guys that are building all of the code for all of these products. And so they're just building based off the way that they perceive the world. Um, so if you can touch a little bit on your experience and why you find inclusion and diversity so important, um, and especially with you creating all of these opportunities within our org and outside of Cisco as well.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, when I went, when I was in school, um, I'll never forget it walking in a class. I mean you know single walk into school, you know you want to meet people and you realize that there's one woman in the class. like I felt so bad for her to be honest with you because you know, literally had twenty thirty single guys and and one, I'm sure she probably just wanted to run to her car every every day after school um and and it was just you know it was it wasn't an environment that was very inclusive you're, you're spot on where, and it started with the, the school and education and, and, um, you know, I've often, you know, I, I've seen it throughout my entire career in tech is, is you tend to see, you know, women in either sales or in project management roles or chief of staff roles or marketing. And, you know, I think those are all phenomenal careers, but then how do you, bring in diversity, not just from, you know, gender, but in, in, you know, um, in race in in just different like backgrounds. Like we always went through and looked at, you know, Hey, go after the uh, the graduate from these schools and universities. And um, we always targeted those, those large, you know, tech like MIT or, Or, you know, Stanford, or, you know, all these different schools. And, but there's some strong talent in state universities. There's strong talent in community colleges. And so that's really part of what I've been driving. And we have to make it intentional. Um, And also, not everyone needs a computer science degree, right? I've hired folks with PhDs in psychology because I feel like, you know, we need to understand how humans interact with tech. We need to have researchers. We need to have designers. I joke all the time that I think we have too many engineers, right? And engineers solve the problem the same way because it's the way they're taught, which means they can't solve a problem creatively, right? You you, you know, you need that kind of wild person with, with these, what seem like crazy ideas to develop the next thing. I mean, you look at, Elon Musk right a lot of people are like you know he's building you know all these you know start the electric vehicles and then SpaceX and those ideas I'm sure people think he's out there and and wild but that's what makes tech is like well this guy has a vision let's figure out how to do it then yeah you hire the engineers to go build it but having the vision having the creativity they're sitting in a room saying yeah yeah we can we can make that work yeah, when you want to fly to the moon, yeah, we can, we can make that work without you, you know, crashing mid flight, right? Like those are the things that you can't have a bunch of engineers in the room trying to solve the problem because they're all going to solve it in their own way and the way they were taught.
0: Totally. And so what kind of advice would you give to anyone who would maybe consider themselves as a minority and how would they break through these barriers um, to pursue a career in tech?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the pandemic has made it even harder. So like pre pandemic, it was hard. um, Because at least I would say there's, there's a lot of universities, there's a lot of programs. There's a lot of career fairs, you know, Cisco participates uh, significantly in, in career fairs at different colleges around, around the world now. Um, And not just like I said, the the upper echelon or what people consider the, the, you know, the, the strong kind of computer science universities, but everywhere. Cause we have to find that talent everywhere. And, you know, there's a huge talent shortage. And so, you know, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with going to trade school. Right. I think there's a, if anyone's had any construction done in, in their home or in their apartment or anywhere, you know, there's a a shortage of talent everywhere, right? Um, all the way down to like our local Starbucks is now closed on Saturday and Sunday because they don't have enough staff. And um, you know, you kind of see these things overall. Like there, there's just there's a desire and a need for us to to build talent. I mean, I'll hire anybody and then put them through the our our boot camp. I don't care what background they have right, um, and so for me, it's like just continuing to break down and identify where these folks are that really wanna change their lives. I feel you know again, tech pays phenomenally well, right almost every job is at least six figures, right um when you add in total compensation of like you know base pay and and bonus and stock et cetera i mean that's a that's life changing for for people growing up in an inner city. I mean, I grew up and, you know, most jobs are 30, 40,000 at best. You can say, well, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars salary. I mean, that's a life changer, right? So I think for me, that's, that's the biggest thing is a showing people the opportunity and yeah, it's hard work, but you have to put in the effort to, to make it, you know, in life. And I've always felt and people ask me like, well, how'd you go from where you grew up to where you are now? It's like, I've worked harder than anybody else. And I do not give up. And, you know, I also don't think I'm the smartest person or the hardest working. But I will say that I do not give up. I'm just very, very persistent. And so everybody's different. Everybody operates differently. But you know, that's sort of the secret to my success has been that. And honestly, anybody can take that same playbook and run with it.
1: What is what is the most difficult thing that you have had to overcome? Because, you, you know, you are in a minority race, right? So, like, that, those kind of barriers were in place for you at some level. So, how did you figure out where to go?
2: Yeah, I mean, I... I would say, other than my last name, most folks would say like you know you're a Caucasian male uh with a and make a lot of assumptions that I grew up in a silt with a silver spoon in my mouth based on where I'm at, my title and my age. Um, you know, but then you break it down and and a lot of people have had rough upbringings, not everyone at an executive level. You know, a lot of them had to work very hard. And I think that's sort of one thing, even a perception I had to break as I've met other people in my career, either peers or even CEOs or C-level execs. I mean, they've no one's really had it easy. And yeah, there's some people who may have had that, you know, quick path to to being an executive. But that's that's been my sort of view of how things were. And I would say I've been fortunate from the perspective that I have, you know, had had sponsors and had individuals who um, supported me throughout my career.
1: So I want to dive into a a different topic, kind of change gears just a little bit. We alluded to it earlier in, in the podcast. Like I said, we're going to talk about this all throughout season one, but this idea of transformation and what that means. So tell us a little bit about like why is that a focus area for it even maybe what it is for people that don't really understand what that word means when we're talking about it in this context of tech and then maybe you know go into what it means for Cisco in general as a company what
2: Yeah it's so uh it's so interesting right um people i mean the word transformation does feel a bit scary like when you when you go to any organization, you'll hear the word transformation. I had actually done some research uh, about five or six years ago on the term digital transformation. And that term actually came out in the 90s. And it was super interesting because it took it took many forms in the sense that digital transformation meant many things, right? Digital transformation could have been moving from a, taking a paper order, like, you know, at a restaurant to then having a, a digital kind of, you know, input. Um, it also could have meant completely transforming how, you know, uh, e-commerce happens. I mean, it just has so many different forms. And the World Economic Forum uh, talked about the industrial, the fourth industrial revolution and the work that's going on around you know migrating to all these different capabilities across the world and and so it's been fascinating to sort of a live through that transformation as a as a as a world basically and everything that's going on on everything from energy to you know um, like sensors and iot and and sort of all this innovation that's happening around us. if you look at it at sort of the micro level of a company like Cisco. And we've all talked about transformation, digital transformation. Um, And I will say, and I keep bringing up the pandemic because it was the, the first time that it forced transformation, right? Companies for years have been talking about hybrid work and remote work and like, you know, they dip their toe. And then there's a lot of companies who said, we can never work remote. And then all of a sudden, everybody's remote. Right. And they had to do it within a week. So like I said earlier about, you know, nothing forces or creates a sense of urgency like a date. (laughs) When everything in the world shut down in 2020 and everyone moved to a remote environment, everyone sat at home. And guess what? Companies still needed to make money. They still needed to produce things. They still needed to sell stuff. And so fascinating to see. And when I think of transformation, that's what I think about. And then at the personal or the individual level, people are really scared of the word transformation because imagine you're doing the same job for 10, 12, 20 years and someone says, well, we're transforming. You think about, okay, am I part of that transformation? Am I legacy? Am I part of the new guard or the old guard? And I think it is really difficult for someone and, Again, I'll go back to the whole always be learning, always be evolving, is I don't think of transformation as anything more than an evolution. We evolve as a people, we evolve as a humanity, we evolve as a culture, we evolve as individuals, we evolve our work. That to me, I I would love if people stop saying transformation and start calling it the evolution of tech or the evolution of a company. Because to me, the evolution of Cisco is... We started doing networking. We evolved to doing networking and security. We evolved to doing, you know, uh, subscriptions and renewals. And now we're evolving to more of a consumption company. Like all these evolutions are all based and rooted in the fact that this is what our customers want us to be. And we're just adapting.
1: Well, I I love what you said there because one of my idols is my dad. He worked in the tech industry for years and years, many different jobs, many different roles. He worked at Cisco for 10 plus years to end his career. And we actually ended up having the same boss for a short amount of time after I had come to the company. So it was really cool. But he, even though he worked for the same company for a decade, he never had the same role for more than Two or three years at a time, because there's always something to change. There's always something to learn. There's always something to hone in the skill set that you don't exercise every day. So, just like you're saying, that evolutionary process, we can look at that ourselves too. Are we constantly trying to learn new things? Are we trying to constantly evolve our own skills? So that way, when companies evolve their skill offerings, that we're not on the chopping block right so there's always that methodology there let's go to some rapid fire Megan do you want to kick us off
0: yes Tony are you ready I'm ready ready okay what's the last show that you binged and loved
2: last show I binged and loved was um now I can't remember the name of it it's something like the window across the street from the neighbor. It's like oh. the, new, the Netflix <laughs> Kristen show. That, Bell, Kristen yeah, Bell. Kristen yeah, Kristen Bell. It's like the longest <laughs> title ever.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But
2: that's the last one.
0: Was it? Was it good? I've heard mis- mixed reviews.
2: I would not watch season two.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> Give a, There was there was a lot of talk. We had an internal chat going about concerts that people have been to and loved. So give us your most memorable concert that you've ever been to.
2: It's I don't know if, maybe no one would know this about me, but um, I love kind of rock music and even heavy metal. So um, I don't know if this would actually fit the heavy metal genre, but um, Rage Against the Machine was by far one of my favorite concerts ever. I think they played for four hours and you know, they would actually get in the crowd and sing along. I mean, it was fascinating. And uh it was again a show I'll never forget.
0: How old were you?
2: Uh let's see, I was probably twenty five.
0: Okay. What is one of your bucket list items?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I don't I don't really have a bucket list per se but one of the things i would say i definitely want to do is maybe live a year in a different country um you know i've lived in as a as a you know father and a husband at, in my i did that when i was single i lived in amsterdam i lived in australia i lived in um in parts of south america but You know, I think now, A, you know, I was kind of broke at the time. And so I couldn't do it a whole lot, which was great because you get to see everything and, you know, just walk everywhere and go on trains and stuff. But now, with with having a bit more, being a bit more comfortable, um, being able to do the nice things, (laughs) uh, it's something
1: I'd love to do. A different experience. For sure. If you could only have one meal for the rest of your life, What's it going to be?
2: So you can't really ask a Chicagoan that because it's always the same answer. <laughs> it's pizza. It's pizza. It's always pizza.
1: Well, a pizza, it fits into every cat- category, right? You can have your food on there. You have your bread. You have your meat. You got everything. And they're like, it's all covered.
2: Well, and growing up, my my mother would say, and for breakfast, you just put an egg on it and it's breakfast.
1: Hey, there you go. <laughs> Everything,
0: everything. That's a wise woman. Uh, yeah, apparently the number one pizza topping in California was avocado.
1: Oh, I don't get know. real. That makes sense. Like <laughs> I had tomato, probably too.
0: Oh gosh, we're going too far with the avocado.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll get you out on this. If you want somebody to come away from this podcast, either your specific episode or just all the episodes in general, what do you want them to come out of them with?
2: My hope is that, you know, A, they're enlightened a bit in what they can do in their career. Um, Because I think going a little deeper on how a lot of us, myself included, and some of the other executives at Cisco and other individuals that you'll hear on this podcast series is, you know, you get a little sense of what it takes to get there, right? People, I I think the number one question I get from folks is, how did you get to where you are? And it's hard to do that in a 30 minute, like one-on-one conversation. You know, you listen to this podcast, you're going to get different perspectives, you know, from people and how they grew up and how they got to where they are. And honestly, I think the other thing that I didn't know when before I joined Cisco is, how many cool and fun people there are at Cisco. And so the other perspective I would love is just getting to know the fun executives, the cool people. Like we love to joke. I mean, we're human. (laughs) You know, we, we, there's, it's not like we sit back and say, you know, yep, everything's corporate, everything. Let's get this job done. Here's a date. It needs to deliver this. This is like, it's a really fun place to be. And there's some really cool people here.
1: Awesome. Well, we're we're excited for the different perspectives. I'm sure the listeners will love the different angles that people have come into, you know, the industry with and the different mindsets. And we appreciate you and your sponsorship of of this podcast and of us and of all the people that you care for as a as an executive of an organization. So thank you, Tony. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Megan. I really appreciate this, and uh, let's get this as the number one podcast on the internet.